0: Welcome, today is April 4th, 2020, and guess what? Digital nomadism is dead, or at least for now. It kind of seems like a thing of the past already. I mean, something that people did years ago. And, you know, the thought of a gallivanting programmer circling the globe or uh, an Instagram travel influencer, you know, sampling luxury hotels around the world, it all kind of seems almost like an alien concept at this point. It's hard to think that this phenomenon just only peaked a couple of months ago, really. And yes, I mean, you might have heard of people who are right now making the most of the low travel costs and, you know, enjoying the lack of people everywhere. But if you look at the air travel, it's probably down by as much as 90% in terms of daily passengers. Also if you do travel, then hardly anything is going to be open and I guess most cities by now will have a pretty eerie vibe. Also you don't know where you're gonna get stranded if you do travel and you don't know how the local lockdown policies are gonna apply to you as a traveler, especially amidst the mass closure of all hotels. In other words, if you do travel, then rest assured that your experience is probably not going to be particularly glamorous or fun. Now, if you travel as a digital nomad, remember that any networking you're planning on doing is probably not going to happen. It's going to be pretty dead out there. The meetups are gone, the after work drinks, the get togethers and all the social events and so forth, they're just not happening. And I think even longer term in a post-corona world, if and when we get there, then the appetite for travel in general is probably going to remain weak or weaker, I would say, because I don't think people are going to be all that interested in cosmopolitan sprawling mega cities anymore. And what a lot of people are finding out right now is that being holed up in a box in a big city indefinitely is not particularly fun. And by the looks of it, it's probably going to get even a little bit worse still. Probably quite a bit worse still. And when all this is over, when this immediate ordeal is over, then people are probably not going to forget about this experience anytime soon. Meaning that longer term, people probably want to live in smaller cities even, or towns. Maybe even closer to nature and away from all these claustrophobic beehives that are today's busy megacities. And speaking of busy, one thing that definitely isn't dead, though, is working from home. And overnight, pretty much, this became the modus operandi for pretty much everybody. And it has been said in the past that, you know, necessity is the mother of invention and, you know, sudden constraints can really force a change. And that is really true. That's what is happening right now, right here. And for the people who are lucky enough to have a job, they're gonna try as hard as they can to cling on to it and to deliver some kind of value. So I guess what we're about to see is that many business processes will be managed from the comforts of people's homes, and they can be managed from the comforts of people's homes. And a lot of middle managers and executives also for that matter, they're probably going to find out that workers don't need to be chained to a cubicle to deliver value. A lot of stuff can be done from home, and it will be done from home, and it will And at the same time, many, if not most companies now, they find themselves having to conduct, you know, the mother of all cost cutting exercises. So working from home or not, a lot of those middle managers are probably going to have to find themselves a new job. They're going to find themselves out of a job very shortly, you know, if they haven't already joined the 10 million or so unemployed Americans over the past couple of weeks alone. But remember, though, there are entire companies that are run pretty much completely virtually, completely online. And they're lean, they're flat organizations, and they have very few BS jobs in them, unlike the corporate sector. And I think more companies are probably going to be trimmed and run exactly this way. It's going to be more virtual, more online centric, flatter organizations, less BS, pretty much. As for the workers who do successfully convert into remote work though, I'm not so convinced that they're ever going to want to go back to business as usual. So longer term, I say if, and when this is over, and when people are kind of herded back into corporate captivity and open plan offices and so forth, I'd predict that many people are going to start looking for well, more flexible jobs. They want to go back to working from home. So what about the people who work in startups then? Well, I'm going to say startup funding is dead or dying. Now, I made a bet with a friend back in 2016. He ran a tech accelerator, basically a pretty big one, as to when the startup bubble would pop. And I was off pretty much by a year. I thought it would happen 2019. But I did predict a pretty abrupt and unceremonious end to it all. Well, kind of like most bubbles pop. But not because I obviously suspected a virus or anything like that. I just anticipated that there's going to be some kind of we're in or the fact that none of them were really generating any real earnings to speak of. And that's generally your typical startup over the past couple of years, really, past few years. And I used to actually do quite a lot of startup mentoring. So I've worked with many startups, I've even taken a stake in startups. And um, the one indicator that convinced me that we were in a bubble, it was that so many of the startups were talking about their exit strategy rather than an actual business prospectus. And you know, they would make references to the exit strategy while they were pitching for angel rounds, for example. I mean, they were basically just treating their business as a hot potato, just as some kind of a financial vehicle, rather than an actual business generating value or seeking to generate value over the long term. And you saw the same the same exact thing in crypto in, in twenty seventeen. People were looking just for a quick flip. So how do we generate enough buzz just so we can turn around and, and unload this piece of junk on somebody else? And we think about it for really successful businesses, truly successful businesses, the founders attempt to keep as much equity as possible and they even avoid raising rounds, they avoid dilution, they absolutely try to maintain as much control as possible. So these endless funding rounds and exits and so forth, they are the last thing on their mind. But during the startup craze though, raising rounds was almost seen as some kind of a sign of progress or success. So I think, you know, risk appetite will disappear, and many VCs, they're going to have to shut their doors even. Many angel investors, you know, they're not going to be funding, you know, speculative niche plays. And I think even the corporates, they're going to return to their core activities. And that's just the simple truth. I mean, there will be exceptions to this, such as, you know, Slack, Zoom, Upwork, and maybe a few others that, you know, more tie into either cost reduction or supporting necessary remote functions and so forth. But the future for startups that tie it into the typical 2020 themes, it's going to be pretty bleak. And a lot of them, you know, they did rely on discretionary consumer spending, you know, frivolous entertainment, vanity, marginal conveniences. And, and that's why I say they're kind of a thing of the past by now. So all of your AI and machine learning, Internet of Things, the interest in those has already begun to recede. And from an investment standpoint, the focus will begin to shift elsewhere. I mean, even the gig economy, it's gonna suffer. And yes, that includes the likes of Uber and Lyft and the food deliveries and so forth. And especially if you think about the coming changes in regulation, you know, whereby contractors now have to be treated more as employees. The cost savings at hand with, you know, the gig economy businesses, that's going to go away. So those businesses are going to find themselves just being, well, conventional businesses all of a sudden. There's nothing special anymore about Uber. It's just a taxi company without any savings at hand. And also, I think that the metrics that matter to investors, they're also going to change. So during the dot-com bubble, for example, success was all about you know, eyeballs and visibility and traffic and so forth, and then that popped. And then in the following NASDAQ bubble, the one that ran up until 2020, that is, then it was all about you know, user acquisition and to, to a lesser degree about actual revenue. Now, maybe, maybe in the next bubble, it'll be more about paying customers and real earnings, you know, margins, things that make a real business, And if you think about it, I mean, not even amongst the so-called unicorns themselves do we even talk about earnings. I mean, most of them made a loss. Remember, speaking of Uber, Uber had a minus 60% profit margin last quarter. And Lyft had a minus 75% margin. I mean, imagine if you ran a business that destroyed that much money. I mean, for every dollar that came in, you lost 75 cents. I mean, you shut it down immediately. But the rationale was always that, you know, Yeah, we're not making money right now, but we're gaining so much market share that as the economy grows, in the future, we'll basically come out ahead. We'll come out stronger. But well, guess what? The future is here, and people are not about to start spending more money on rides anytime soon. So those losses that these companies make, they're going to deepen dramatically, meaning the stocks are actually even more overvalued. So as I've been saying for a while, for a good while, the NASDAQ, it has a lot more air in it, so don't be a fool. You're not picking up a bargain investing in any of those supposed unicorns anytime soon. Now, when I say that the bubble has popped, that doesn't necessarily mean that the unicorns will go to zero because you know, with this current reckless monetary policy where we're trying to save anything and everybody, uh, it is possible that stocks can be artificially elevated for quite some time, but in real terms, in other words, if you measure the value of the stock in anything meaningful and tangible, it's going to go downhill from here. And so when these central banks are, are done with all their money printing, yes, you know, this can lift stocks nominally for quite some time, but in terms of preserving your purchasing power, investing in stocks is probably not the place. Now, that's not financial advice, it's just common sense. Anyway, I'm not going to miss any of these trivial apps that added basically no substantial value. We're just going back to reality for a little while. And with what the central banks have done in the past, I mean, we have basically released the maximum amount of purchasing power that could possibly have been released from the economy by keeping interest rates low, for example. Think about it like this. You can throw one heck of a party if you max out your credit card and, you know, take out a line of equity against your home. But when the hangover comes, it's going to be a ruthless one. And that's what we're facing right here. Now, one question that I've been getting quite a lot is, well, okay, so when do we get, go back to normal then? Well, I think we're not going back to normal as we knew it because, well, we were not in normal conditions to begin with. And, and staying on the investment topic here, we were in a raging stock market bubble. And in fact, we still are. And interest rates, they had never been this low for this long. We never had more corporate debt. We never had more consumer debt. We never had more sovereign debt and so on and so on. So we are going into more normal territory. We're going into a correction of it all. And this is gonna take quite a long time. The economic shutdown is essentially unprecedented. The speed of it is unprecedented. And what we're looking at right now is, you know, this is a more dire situation than what we saw during 9-11 and World War II combined in terms of the effects on the economy. I mean, we slid into recession faster than during the Great Depression. And that took years to play out. And this time around, you know, we were falling from a higher elevation. We were starting from much weaker financial conditions. So we have much further to fall. And as it stands, we're facing a few years of challenge. That's what I think. Well, when I say challenge, I mean mean it in relative terms in comparison to the past decade that we just enjoyed. The sugar high of a decade. Well, okay, well, so this one was a bit of a downer, I know, but that's kind of the reality for you there, folks. I mean, to try and end this on a somewhat more positive note, shall we say, I mean, it is positive that we are seeing a boom in working from home, that it is possible to begin with. And I think it's going to liberate a lot of people from what was, you know, a fairly incarcerating work environment. So maybe we look back at yesterday's open office environments the way we look back at coal mines. I mean, that's a bit of an extreme comparison, but you get the point. And, you know, there is the prospect of food shortages and so so forth on the horizon. And I think that's going to actually teach people a hard lesson in the importance of uh, self-sufficiency. I think the lack of medical equipment also and the critical medications that we're now lacking, that's going to teach governments the dangers of using global supply chains. I think the breakdown in manufacturing as well, even manufacturing the simplest things that's going to teach businesses the dangers with just-in-time inventory management and so on. So there are lessons to be learned. Some of them are going to be very painful, but there are lessons to be learned and hopefully learning that will contribute to somewhat, somewhat of a more sound society moving forwards. Anyway, are you working from home? Do you love it? Do you hate it? Are you buying stocks? Are you bullish on startups still? Do you think we'll learn anything from all of this? What do you want to hear more about? Let me know what you think. You can send me an email on podcast at nyman.media. That's podcast at n-y-m-a-n dot media. And I'll riff on whatever you want to hear about in the next podcast. Until then, thanks for listening. Well, that's it, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you enjoyed it. If you want to comment on an episode or if you want to support the podcast, visit nyman.media slash podcast. That's NYMAN.media slash podcast. Or feel free to leave a review wherever you're listening from. And thanks for listening.